0: Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. And you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode, as he does every week, is Will Miles. And you can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SCC and his site, readandreaction.com. Will Miles, are you excited for another matchup with the Michigan Wolverines?
1: Hey, man, I'm always excited for any time the Gators are playing. I mean, we got one more game left in the season, and, you know, we're going to spend all summer saying, God, I just can't wait till there's football. I remember doing it all last summer. I am not going to take any games for granted whatsoever. If we get to watch the Gators play football, I am excited, and I want to break it down.
0: Hey, this time of year ago, we weren't watching them. We weren't getting ready for our Gators to to play a bowl game. And a year later, Dan Mullen has us going to a New Year's Six Bowl, the Peach Bowl in Atlanta.
1: Well, oh how how the tides have turned! Because last year, plenty of people from Tallahassee were giving us an <laughs> awful lot of crap about four and seven and McElwain and and all that sort of stuff, and even pointing towards Mullen not being able to beat the big fish when he was at Mississippi State. But uh, you know, he's certainly proven people, including myself, wrong. And this season is and has done better than I expected. And hey, the team's nine and three. We got an opportunity to get a ten win season. Got an opportunity to beat a top 10 team in Michigan and have an opportunity to really prove, you know, last year we opened up with Michigan. And that's one of those things where you look at it and say, okay, we were what about 30 points behind when you were, I mean, there were a couple of pick sixes, but I mean, the offense just looked atrocious in that game. And the Gators were clearly behind Michigan in that game. And it's a lot of the same team for both teams coming into this game. So we'll get to see sort of what kind of progress has been made.
0: Absolutely, and we'll, uh, we'll extend that thought right there that, that Will left us with there. But remember, before we do, you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. Also, catch us on uh, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Spotify. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And, Will, you mentioned kind of not much, not too much has changed, uh, especially as far as the Michigan defense goes uh, from where, uh, from when these two teams matched up last season. Uh, big news came out on Sunday not long after uh, the matchup was announced that one of Michigan's best defenders in Rashawn Gary will sit out versus the Gators to prepare himself for the NFL draft. And, of course, that should only help the Gators. Uh, but it's no surprise uh, that Jim Harbaugh and Don Brown uh, have one of the best defenses in the country. But, Will, the, the only solace in looking at the game from last season and, and the opener there, there should be no shortage of motivation for the skaters team, but, you know, especially for the offense. Yeah, Felipe Franks was making his first start. Jordan Scarlett was caught up in that credit card scandal and didn't play uh, in this game or, or, or the season. The offensive line was abused all game long and then had Jim McElwain saying in the postgame, quote, their guys were bigger and stronger uh, Wayne said after, after that game, and they whooped us plain and simple in the quote. So, uh, I know that game was a year ago, but I can see some off field motivation and intrigue here based on that first game in in the opener last year.
1: Yeah. I mean, you figure if you're mulling, you just run that game on loop for the next month (laughs) In, in the weight room and in the locker room. And every time they're eating, you know, I mean, it was an embarrassing thing for those guys to go out there and lose like that. And I mean, you know, Felipe Franks gets pulled, Late or early in the second half, and you know, they bring him Malik Zaire, and he wasn't ready to play. And you know they they had the couple of pick sixes, and actually had the lead at the half, but then just weren't able to hold up. A lot of a lot of mistakes on the back end of the defense, a um, lot of mistakes everywhere on offense. And so you know Michigan was able to take control, really win the game. And I mean, it didn't even feel that close in the first half, even though Florida was ahead. It just sort of felt like the defense had kept a minute. You know the hope was the defense was going to be really good last year, and that didn't turn out to be the case. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot. To prove on Florida side of the ball, I'm not sure there's a whole lot to prove for Michigan. I mean, Michigan comes into this game as the ones with, with sort of you know they're expected to win, they're favored, and if they don't, um, you know if they don't win, I, I don't think anybody's gonna like. I don't think anybody's gonna jump off the cliff if they lost. I mean, you know, the Ohio State game for them is the Super Bowl until they get into the playoff and then they weren't able to get into the playoff. And you can see them sort of like Auburn last year coming to that game against UCF. I, I don't think anybody believes that that Auburn came in all guns blazing against UCF. I mean, they certainly played a played a decent game, but it wasn't their best game of the year. And I think maybe you see the same thing with Michigan. Um, but hey, I want to get Michigan's best. I want to know where Florida stands. I mean, you know, if Florida loses by 25. Hey, you know where you are and you got to go from there. If Florida loses close. OK, you know where you need to go from there. But, you know, Florida wins by forty. Well, then everybody's going to wonder, is it just because Michigan didn't show up? So um, I hope we get Michigan's best. I hope for the players who are there. Um, I do think it's a good sign that Chauncey Gardner Johnson, even though he announced that he's going to the NFL, is coming and playing in this game. I think it sets a tone. I don't begrudge anyone who goes to the NFL. I mean, this is a physical sport. You blow out an ACL or something like that in a bowl game and the NFL isn't going to still pay you. So um I understand why people would do it but I do think from just from a program perspective um it's really a big deal that Mullen's got Gardner Johnson playing in this game and 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 that you know it indicates that the team is bought in and really wants to put on a good showing in the Peach Bowl.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you when you bring up the motivation for Michigan uh, in this game coming off that the Ohio State game. And hey, look, they were playing for a more than likely a playoff spot. When you played when they played Ohio State last week, you know, the winner of that game was going to be picked to to beat Northwestern and Ohio State or Michigan would have been picked just like Ohio State to, to win that game. So a playoff spot was on the line. And you're right. I do wonder where their mindset is going to be in when they had just a week ago had their sights set on it all, you know, being able to play for it all. Uh, just a week later, uh, after you would beat the Northwestern team, so yeah, I, I do the, the motivation for the Florida team. We, uh, you know, I discussed going into that part of it, but yeah, coming out of it, what is the motivation for Michigan? Uh, is is it to play Florida again? Is it to be the SEC team? Is it to to come down south and um, you know, play in Atlanta? I think I read this was Michigan's first game in the state of Georgia, um, you know, for them. So you know, what what is the motivation there? You know, Harbaugh usually does a good job of uh, getting his teams getting his teams up. Uh, as far as bowl games goes, and you got another know, coming off the uh, the uh, South Carolina game, I actually they probably shouldn't have lost they had a really good game against FSU a couple of years ago. Uh, they did beat Florida, uh, Jim McElwain's first year. so you know, they, they played good in, in their bowl games for the most part, except for that disappointing game against South Carolina last year. So yeah, I, I do mo- wonder where the motivation is uh, for for Michigan and uh, I also agree with you there it is a barometer for Florida and it's a really a barometer for this Florida Gator offense. Uh, And uh, we'll look at some stats here for for Michigan. And uh, we'll look up the stats between, uh, you know, just FBS stats. You know, throwing out the cupcakes, FCS teams. Uh, Michigan ranked 10th in the country and only giving up 17.6 points per game. By comparison, Mississippi State leads the country and only gave up 12.5 points uh, per game uh, there. So about a five-point difference between Michigan and Mississippi State. Uh, the Wolverines are number one in yards per game, only giving up 262.5 yards a game, and third in yards per play with 4.2. To finish this out, they rank 19th in rushing yards allow with 116 yards a game. The Gators average 210 yards a game rushing versus FBS opponents. Uh, so Gators 210 yards, Michigan only giving up 116. Uh, so Florida's 25th in the nation in, in running, uh, you know, just for FBS opponents. And uh, the Wolverines placed the number one overall uh, ranking in pass defense, only giving up 146 yards per game. The Gators averaging 196.6 yards a game, ranking 94th in the country there. So we know what the Gators will want to do. They'll want to come out here and uh, should be trying to establish the run because Michigan Really, he does a good job of of defending the pass. You know, I don't think you want to put too, put too much on Felipe Franks in, in, in this matchup. But you know, going back to last year, it was his first start, new system, new coach, easier offense for him. He's gotten better as the season goes on. I don't necessarily think it's going. You know, it is a bowl game. You know, you can try some things out. You know, here and there. I don't. This. You know, is it a game? Do you want to go win? Absolutely. But it's also a, a chance. You got 15 practices to go figure some things out maybe try some new things, maybe have a little fun as well. Uh, It will be interesting to see the game plan built. uh, We know they're going to run the ball, but the game plan built around how to use Felipe Franks.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, if you look back at that Ohio State game, I haven't gone back and broken down all the film, but clearly they got torched through the air in that game. I've got torched a lot on crossing patterns from everything that from everything that I've seen thus far, and that's something that Franks has not shown necessarily a whole uh, a huge grasp on, right? I mean, a it requires the offensive line to give you protection to allow those guys to cross across the quarterback, but b it also requires that the quarterback be accurate in that you know ten to twenty yard range, and so. To me, these fifteen practices are an opportunity to work on something that potential that really hasn't shown up a ton. They did go over the middle a little bit, a little bit against Florida State. They did wrap it a little bit against Idaho, um, but you know this is an opportunity to really sort of build in that component to the offense and you know Frank's has Frank's improved considerably from last year I think these 15 practices make a big difference in that I mean you know you think about the number of practices they have in the spring number of practices they have in the fall and then you add these practices to it um you know really for a developing quarterback I mean we forget he's only a redshirt sophomore and then his backup right now is a true freshman so um you know, those guys need the reps. And I think that's an important thing to to see in these practices, but yeah, I, I expect there to be some trick plays just because it's kind of fun. And Mullen seems to be that kind of guy who wants to have fun for these types of things. But at the same time, I fully expect him to take a look at the Ohio state tape and figure out how they torched him and try to go after him like that. I mean, you know, Michigan's really good against both the run and the pass. I I don't know that you're going to be able to go out there and just say, oh, we need to isolate this one spot on Michigan. I mean, maybe you have an advantage because Gary's not in there because he's deciding not to play. But I mean, at the end of the day, if there was an injury to Gary, we wouldn't sit there and say, oh, the whole defense is going to fall apart. We just say, hey, they have an injury and they're going to have have to have somebody step up. So, um, you know, I expect, I expect Michigan's defense to be pretty stout. And I expect that, um, you know, there's a reason why Michigan's favored in this game. Part of it's the perception from last year, and really the last couple of times Florida's played Michigan. But part of it is just that Michigan's a really good team, and there's been some there's been some debate recently about whether Florida's really a top ten team. And Florida has the opportunity to prove it right here. I mean, you look at the statistics, and Michigan should win the game, um, just the baseline statistics. But you look at um, you know Florida really has a lot to prove here, and they're gonna have the opportunity to do that. And you know, Mullen's gonna be drilling that into his players for the next month.
0: Absolutely. And uh, looking at the positive for Michigan and looking at their best game of the season, I think given the opponent, they held a pretty good offense uh, in Penn State to seven points. Uh, You know, on offense uh, here, they um, had 259 yards rushing and held Penn State to 68 yards rushing. Uh, Trace McSorley only had 83 yards passing, going five of 13. And Shea Patterson, the Michigan quarterback, was 11 of 17 for 144 yards. You He wasn't going to be asked to do much when they ran for 259 yards. But in that defense, going against a Penn State, a Penn State offense that you know, at times can put can put it together. Yes, they were going through a new, new offensive coordinator where Joe Moore had been at Mississippi State. But really, I mean, only 68 rushing yards and McSorley. We know the type of playmaker he is, 5 of 13 for 83 yards. Uh, so that Michigan defense was really on it in that game. So, you know, the, the, the Gators are going to have to put more points on the board than they did against a similar defense like Mississippi State. You, when you look at kind of the statistics, uh, if you would, you know, if you would go just by pure numbers, Mississippi State, Michigan are very similar in what they did on defense this year. The Gators only put up 13 points against that Mississippi State defense. And This would be one of the best defenses the Gators play this season.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting when you look at the Michigan schedule. So, one of the things that I did today was look at at how they've done at home versus how they've done on the road. So, at home they were 6 and 0. They outscored their opponents 303 to 94. And that included that Penn State game. So, the top the top 10 team in in FPI that they beat. So, Penn State's ranked 8th right now in the ESPN FPI. They beat them pretty large at home, but when you look at on the road, they lost to Ohio State. They lost to Notre Dame. They played Northwestern. It was 20 to 17. Michigan State was 21 to seven. The only team they beat handily was Rutgers on the road and everybody beats Rutgers on the road. <laughs> yeah. So that was 42 to seven. So when you look at their road record, they were, you know, 139 points to 117 points um, given up. And that's, you know, they actually are a little bit fortunate to come out of that at four and two. And, and so, you know, you do wonder whether there's a real advantage to having them in a neutral side. I mean, this is based, this should be a Florida home game. Yeah. Sitting sitting in Atlanta, this should be a Florida home game. And you, you you look at those splits and you say, okay, yeah, they dominated a really good Penn State team at home, but then they got dominated by a good Ohio State team on the road. And if this turns into a road game for Michigan in that dome and Florida's fans really show out, I think in some capacity that's a place where Michigan has struggled and they have not been the same team away from Ann Arbor. And every team struggles on the road to some extent, but not like this. I mean th- this is basically they've got the same amount of points scored and against and then you look at their record against top 10 teams and they they've got 98 points scored 93 points against they're one in twos so they beat Penn State but they lost to Ohio State and Notre Dame again those are very good teams but you know how would Florida do against those if you look at the same record for Florida you got LSU in there but you got Georgia in there and so and Mississippi State depending upon how you're actually ranking teams the FPI has them has them pretty high up so yeah, you know, I, I don't think this is as big of a walk as some people may think. I think when you look at the overall statistical data against FBS opponents, yeah, Michigan has an advantage. But I think Florida going through the SEC gauntlet. I mean, when you look at when you look at uh, Michigan's schedule, they didn't have any of the FCS cupcakes like Florida did, mm-hmm. but they did have Western Michigan, SMU, Nebraska early in the season when they were terrible. Maryland, Wisconsin, who had a bad year this year. They did beat Penn State, but then Rutgers and Indiana, they barely beat Indiana at home, 31 to 20. And that game was closer than that, if memory serves me correct. So, yeah. again, I, I think there's an opportunity to get them. I, I think if Michigan comes out and plays their absolute best game, um, Florida's really going to have to play well to win. I think if Michigan comes out a little bit flat, or if that home and road split is more is really is really reflective of who they are, I think Florida might be able to get a leg up.
0: All right, we brought up the uh, – so I brought up their best game against Penn State. Uh, I don't think we can look past the Ohio State game. <laughs> it, was, it, it, is the, it is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of world. Uh, and Michigan entered the Ohio State game leading the nation in least passing yards allowed per game, passing yards allowed per attempt, completion percentage allowed, and passer rating allowed, and led the nation in pass defense for the third season in a row going into this game. Uh the Buckeyes entered you know, the game second nationally in total offense, and uh, hey, look, it was Haskins and the Buckeyes that showed up in that game. The Buckeyes 62 points marks, marked the second most Michigan has allowed in 139 seasons, uh, being bested by uh, Illinois 65 points, and that was a triple overtime game in 2010. So it is. Uh, it also marked the most game uh, that Michigan uh, coach Jim Harbaugh has ever allowed as a head coach the most points there uh, in in a game. And the most defensive uh, coordinator, Don Brown, has ever surrendered as a defensive coordinator. So Ohio State uh, finished the game with 573 yards, 8.8 yards a play. Um, And then uh, they only allowed 2.69 more yards per play, 181 more yards, and 38 more points than they have allowed in any one game this season, uh, that Michigan defense there. So I think part of it, Will no pass rush versus Ohio State? Uh, that probably sends a good sign for a pretty good Florida offensive line this year. Michigan, thirty-one sacks on the season, zero sacks against the Buckeyes. So uh, it was the pressure non-existent there uh, against Ohio State. I uh, picked the Wolverines' uh, defense apart, and uh, as I said, Michigan zero sacks and uh, Haskins three hundred eighteen yards passing, five touchdown passes, uh, nineteen of thirty uh, in. Look, Ohio State's offensive line was thought to be a weak point going into that game, and they showed up big time uh, against uh, Michigan here. Uh, Michigan finished that game with 161 total rushing yards. Uh, The Ohio State defensive front uh, created some pressure. Three sacks uh, in in that game as well. Uh, Most of Michigan's points come when the game was well out of hand, when they were down by 20 or so points. Uh, So, Will, you go back to that last game, as I said, what have you done for me lately? Uh, type of world it is going to be interesting how much and dan mullen even admitted it today in the teleconference uh someone asked him would he talk to urban meyer about the last game with michigan and ohio state would he pick urban meyer's brain about what he saw against his michigan defense and Meyer or a Mullen admitted. Yeah, he'll talk to him and and, and see uh, what uh, Meyer has to say about Michigan's defense. So you know, given all that coming off that, you know, of course, you, you can't expect their defense as good as it has been played all year. You can't expect them to be that bad again. But maybe there's something you could pick up on, uh, as we kind of mentioned earlier, that they can practice for these next 15 practices.
1: Well, certainly. I mean, I think you leave no stone unturned, especially if you've got Meyer on your speed dial. You know, it's like—I mean, I, I would imagine that Mullen has relied on Mullen quite a bit over the years when he's had issues as as a head coach and sort of asked about things. I mean, you know, whether whether you like Urban Meyer or not, we all have to admit he's a fantastic college football coach. And, you know, it would be stupid to not use that person as a resource when you have him as as a mentor in some respects. Um, you know, you look at the Ohio State game. I mean, they, they averaged 12.8 yards per pass attempt, which is ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I think Oklahoma led the, led the nation with like 8.8 for the entire year. So they averaged four yards more per pass attempt than the best team in the country. But, you know, they also had 171 yards rushing and averaged 4.8 yards per rush. And this is an Ohio State team that couldn't run the ball against Purdue. So, I mean, on the road against Purdue, I mean, they were relying specifically on Haskins that entire game. And in this game, they were able to put the ball on the ground and really take it to Michigan. And and that I think is indicative of something where Florida might be able to take advantage because I mean Ohio State, one of their problems throughout this entire year, one of the reasons they've struggled so much. I mean, struggled, they're what, eleven and one, but, <laughs> but one of, or twelve and one. One of the but one of the reasons two they losses, have struggled well one of the reasons two losses that's right so one of the reasons they've had some issues is the uh is the is the running game right that they haven't been able to um you know they haven't been able to get the running game going and that they've had to rely on Haskins they didn't have to do that in this game and i think that's that's one of the reasons why the crossing routes are open is because you know you're you're Exploiting the running game. The other reason is those Michigan linebackers are pretty aggressive. I mean, you can remember from last year, Winovich coming off the edge. Um, certainly, Devin Bush also coming up in, in to sort of terrorize Felipe Franks there in that first half. Those guys come up and they do a really good job doing stuff with the line of scrimmage. It you know, crossing routes go right behind those guys. So you know, did Urban Meyer take advantage of their aggressiveness? Again, I don't know. I haven't gone back and looked at the tape extensively. Um, it's one of the things I'm going to be doing over the next week or two. But uh, but it does give us hope. That there is an opportunity to exploit some things that they have on defense, but again, I mean, Harbaugh is going to go back and look at that too. I mean, he's right. going to see all those all the things that they did, and and he's got 15 practices to teach his guys not to do that. And I think at the end of the day, you look at any of these games, and what ends up happening is that the team that wins the battle up front is the team that's going to win the bowl game, and a lot of that comes down to who wants to be there, and a lot of that comes down to um, you know, sort of, <laughs> sort of the the just the desire of the team and and the focus that they have for these 15 practices that then feeds into it. You know, I do wonder whether we'll hear some stuff from Mullen, if he feels like his guys are slacking a little bit, whether he'll start talking to the media about how they're not prepared or, or whether he'll just keep things silent, but um, we'll, we'll not for the first quarter. I mean, that's pretty much when we've known with every Michigan game the last couple of years, every time we played them, it's been, (laughs) we've, we've been getting dominated up front. So, you know, that's the thing I'd look for first, right off the bat. And, uh, you know, and we'll see what happens.
0: Uh well just we'll, we'll extend this thought just a little and not necessarily because of what Michigan will bring to the table and not what happened against Ohio State and just in general. You know, last week on ReadMeAction.com, you released a pretty in-depth look at the Florida offense and what made it click this year and why it was so much better in two thousand seventeen than it was in two thousand eighteen. As a broad stroke, you know, what has Florida done so much better this year that they can bring to the table against Michigan? Yeah,
1: the biggest thing that they've done is the defensive line by making Felipe Franks a threat to throw the ball. So, you know, last year there were plenty of opportunities where the backside was open and Franks either didn't have the freedom or didn't have the ability or didn't have the confidence to pull the ball out. And that meant the defensive end could crash. And there were multiple instances in that Florida State game and really throughout the year where you could see... Um, And in fact, I gave an example. I think it was from the Tennessee game last year where Ryan got absolutely drilled on a play where where Franks had just pulled the ball. He could have run around the edge and would have had six, seven, eight yards. And now he's allowed to do that. So if you look, he had 58 rushes last year for 20 yards. So he averaged 0.3 yards per rush. Now, he didn't throw the ball very well either. He only averaged 6.3 yards per attempt. So he did, he's raised that up to 7.6 now. So he's really gone from a below average passer to right about average, maybe a little bit above average. But he has 96 rushes this year for 276 yards. They've also got Tony who's got 204 yards rushing versus 120 last year. And granted, some of that's out of the wide receiver position, but you know he's a threat when he goes back there in the Wildcat. And so guys who've thrown a pass this year have run for 503 yards versus guys who threw a pass last year ran for 170 yards. And That really is one of the fundamental things that has changed. Now, I mean, Frank has gotten better. There was also a play that I diagrammed where last year he stared down a receiver on a slant and the linebacker was able to jump right in front of it. And so he had to pull it down and he got sacked. And then in the game against Florida State, he moved the linebacker with his eyes, knowing he was going to come back to his right and throw the slant to, I believe it was, uh, it was Van Jefferson. And Jefferson was open and they were able to get convert a first down. And it seems like a really simple play. You know, you just throw the slant, but you know, for a young quarterback He was zoning in on that guy and leading the defense in that direction. He's not doing that near as much anymore. Um, So, you know, pre-snap reads he's always been pretty good at. Mm -hmm. I think Mullen has sort of taught him how to manipulate the defense a little bit based on what he's seen with the pre-snap reads. And now the things he really has to work on are accuracy, particularly down the field um and and on some of those back shoulder throws like every once in a while we'll see one that's fantastic and then we'll see one that's just completely airmailed um and and certainly in that Missouri game the the accuracy had a lot to be desired but that's one place to work the other place he's going to have to work is sort of the post snap read so you know when he when the defense changes something up after the initial snap now last year he ran out of bounds four yards behind the line of scrimmage this year he throws the ball away or he takes off and he gains three or four yards next year the progression is going to have to be okay they've made a change now they now they They've exposed themselves in some other direction. I'm going to go in that direction and really take advantage of it. So, um, you know, I think some of it is Frank's. I think some of it is Frank's being a threat to be a running to be the running quarterback. I think a lot of it is just the offensive line is better. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they are getting off their blocks when they have combo blocks. They're getting to the second level. Um, I think some of it is the level of competition. I mean, Florida State, as much as we'd like to think of them as a marquee matchup this year, was not a marquee matchup. And now they have their offensive coordinator taking a pay cut to go be a head coach at
0: UMass. So, um, Did take the backpack with him.
1: <laughs> no, he's the offensive coordinator. The backpack will stay because it's on the defense, man. Oh, he's taking
0: he's taking dance moves with him.
1: <laughs> I hope not. I want I want that stuff to stay. I enjoy mocking them during the off season. That's always fun.
0: Oh, I'm but. sure Willie. I'm sure Willie keep that stuff. Not, but yeah, Willie's, I mean, he's not getting rid of dance moves.
1: <laughs> oh man, poor Willie. But uh, no. Nah, so anyway, I think if people want to go over there and check it out, if they haven't had a chance to read it, I think it's a pretty good read and really sort of goes over both the running game and the passing game and the types of things that Dan Mullen's done to open up the offense and sort of the marks that you can see um, where last year, you know, the players weren't necessarily paying attention. I mean, just simple checks. There's a play against Michigan where Michigan had 10 guys up the line of scrimmage and they were overloaded to the left hand side and Flora ran the ball to that side anyway. Um, you know, Frank's either didn't have the ability or didn't have the freedom to check out of that but 10 guys within 5 yards of the line of scrimmage like on a on a second and 4 like it has to be a pass play or at least you have to run away from where the defense is overloaded and they didn't do either one this year that doesn't happen i mean for the most part there have been a few times where you've looked at it and said that wasn't that wasn't taking advantage of the numbers, but for the most part, when they have the numbers advantage, they take advantage of it, right? We've seen a lot of those sort of third and seven quarterback draws just because the numbers dictate it, and we wouldn't have seen any of that last
0: year. Oh, All right, some uh, sm- uh, smaller things here, Will, that we can uh, be on the lookout for. You know, Mullen does have experience uh, against Shea Patterson, not so much Todd Grantham. Uh, then you know from their time at uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. So, you know, the up tempo mobile, mobile quarterbacks have given the, the Florida defense issues uh, at, at times this season. So, that's something to keep an eye on with Shea Patterson. He's he's mobile. Um, I don't know, uh, I haven't watched enough of Michigan this year. I have to go back and look and see how if they've ran much up tempo this year. You know, it's not really hardball style if you want to go and look at it, but something that kind of fits what Shea Patterson wants to do. Uh, so kind of have to go and look at that between now and the bowl game and see how much up-tempo um, that Michigan has run this season. It might be something with these 15 practices. If they haven't run it a whole lot, it might be something they install uh, with these 15 practices, given how much Todd Grantham I mean, that Florida defense has uh, ha- has struggled with that with that with at-, at times this year.
1: Yeah, you know, so the thing they're gonna have to watch out for is the running. I mean, so really that last year's Michigan offense is actually sort of the same story as last year's Florida offense. So their quarterbacks combined for negative 131 yards rushing last year. So basically they just got sacked. That was all that was all they ever did. And and O'Corn and and Spate were really sort of statues back there. And and this year you got Shea Patterson and then Dylan McCaffrey was in there a little bit mm-hmm. and then Joe Milton, Brandon Peters, and Grant Perry got sort of a cup of coffee, but you know you look at Patterson and McCaffrey, and you know they had 76 rushes between them for you know 367 yards, so averaging well over four yards of carry um, when the quarterback carries the ball. You know my yards above replacement, I have Patterson at 0.79, so he's been not quite. I mean, so one is sort of the demarcation line where you say a guy's going from being good to elite. So Patterson's been in the good category. He hasn't necessarily been in the elite, but you compare that to Felipe Franks and he's been at, I believe it's 0.13. So better than a game manager, but not as good as Patterson. So that's another place where Michigan probably has a slight advantage. Um, you know, especially when you consider they didn't play the cupcakes and that's where some of the, uh, the stats and yardage for Franks came from. So, um, you know, but Franks, the last couple of games has really trended up. It'll be interesting to see whether it you know, one of the things with a young quarterback, and particularly with somebody who's inaccurate, you start seeing sort of these ups and downs. I think we actually saw that with Patterson last year. You know, when he was at Old Miss, he was a lot more inconsistent than he was this year at, at Michigan. So he averaged eight point two yards per throw. He's a solid quarterback. Mm-hmm. Not, not, you know, nothing. You're not going to write home and say <laughs> you're not going to bounce your grandkid on your knee, telling him that you watched Shea Patterson play Florida right. in a bowl game. But he's <laughs> a good player, and I, and I think Florida's going to have to be ready for him.
0: All right. And uh, after that Ohio State game, Harbaugh 38 and 13 as a head coach, two and eight against teams that finished the season inside the top 10, uh, three and 11 when they allow 24 more points, and just five and four when favored by a touchdown or less. That line opened at seven and a half. Uh, and so if you want to go buy some funny numbers there, you know there's some funny numbers there. If, if that line comes down, uh, Michigan's just five and four when favored by a touchdown. Or less. Will, before we move on to uh, some recruiting updates and news, anything, uh, any other thoughts on this Florida Michigan matchup before uh, we dive into it uh, in a future episode?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, the only thing I would say is that when you look at the teams that they got beat by, they're teams that have more talent um, Ohio State and Notre Dame. Well, Notre Dame's about equivalent, I guess. Notre Dame averages about 10th, and Michigan's usually around 8th or ninth. Um, Ohio State's always in that second, third, fourth range. Penn State's been a little bit higher recently, but is usually you know 13th, 14th, 15th. So really, if you have equivalent talent to Michigan, um, you've really got a chance. If you don't have equivalent talent, Harbaugh usually wins the game. So... Um, the good news is is that Florida has averaged 14th over the last four years in their recruiting ranking. And, and, uh, you know, you figure if Mullen gives them a little bit of boost with some of the coaching that he does, then, then maybe they play a little bit better than that and are sort of equivalent to Michigan. So, um. You know, I think it's going to be a good game, and, and that's good because one of the things that we were hoping when Mullen came is that the days of going to the SEC championship game and getting embarrassed or going to a bowl game and getting embarrassed were over. And I think that's really where this is a barometer, and, and that sort of comes back to the whole, I know a lot of people wanted to see Florida play UCF, but I'm not sure that actually proved anything. I mean, if you beat them, you were expected to beat them, especially without Mackenzie Milton. And if you beat Michigan, that says something about your program. You beat UCF; it just means you don't have to listen to them on Twitter all off season. So for us, which beating which,
0: UCF, which might have been worth it. Well, you know, it's <laughs>
1: worth it for us, though. I don't know. I mean, I feel like at this point they've 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 engaged in a in a way that uh, we would go right back at them if we won. And I mean, whatever. It's it's like, yeah.
0: well, apparently I, I Florida it. was a, a part, apparently Florida was setting this up, and Florida's afraid of UCF.
1: Well, you know, I mean, that's, that's what happens when you're the, when you're the, when you're the little brother, you got to accuse the big brother of cheating. So <laughs> no, I mean, I understand why people are upset. I mean, I, I get why people wanted to see him play UCF. Heck, I wanted to see him play Penn state, but that's just cause I, I had a bet with my boss. He was going to have to wear the Florida Jersey and sing the alma mater if we won if we played Penn state. So I, no. wanted, I wanted us to win Penn state or play Penn state, but, uh, yeah, you know, Michigan's a good a good game. I know we've played them a lot over the last few years, and the, the familiarity can be a little bit old. But it's a new regime at there Florida, and and the idea that we get to see exactly how far we've come over the last 14 months is really exciting to me.
0: Yeah, uh, this game could be what we thought the first game could have been last year without the suspensions and. Thought you know, thought you were coming along nicely as a, as a program, and it all come to a crashing halt. So you know, maybe, maybe we maybe we're getting that redo because of you know because of how things just fall. But uh, uh, my dad surprised me when the game got announced that he wanted to go. So we'll be heading to Atlanta to the Peach Bowl, and my uh, th- dad said he wants to go check out that new stadium. So it, it kind of surprised me, but uh, glad uh, glad he wanted to do it. And I uh, will be heading up to Atlanta for that for that game.
1: Well, I haven't had that conversation with the wife yet, but we do have a plant down in uh d- down near Atlanta, so I may need to take a business trip that second you know that last week in December.
0: <laughs> there we go <laughs> with threats to our nation waiting around every corner,
1: adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
0: All right. Well, the uh, Florida Gators right now, kind of hot on the recruiting trail. Uh, And right before we jumped on this uh, Monday night uh, about two hours beforehand the gators flip offensive lineman michael tarquin uh and then uh, kingsley now i'm gonna have to work on this name and i don't even know if i'm saying it right iguaken that's where I, that's what i'm going with King, kingsley iguaken uh flip both of them from miami tarquin on monday uh and i'm just gonna call him kingsley from here on because that's a whole lot easier um Flipped him on Sunday. Both guys flipped him from Miami. Tarkwin, a four star, 284th ranked player in the nation, six foot five, 290 pounds. Uh, he injured himself in preseason and uh, underwent surgery to repair a torn labrum. And so uh, he did not play this past year. Uh, so, uh, but still highly rated, uh, a four star offensive lineman there. He is on track to graduate high school early and expected to be clear for contact by the time spring rolls around. And then Kingsley, six foot three, 300 pounds. From right here in Jacksonville at the usually not so Gator friendly Sandalwood High. Uh, so, six offensive linemen commits for the class of 2019. Will uh, the Gators won a deep class for offensive linemen this cycle? In good shape to, uh, you know, was was in good shape to flip Michael Tarquin? Did that uh, here on Monday. So, four offensive linemen last class, six so far this class, three four stars, three three stars. Maybe adding one more four-star offensive guard, um, uh, De'Avay Hammond. See what happens there. Maybe lose one before it's all said and done. But uh, if you could pick up another four-star, uh, that 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 would definitely help here. Will it's apparent Mullen and Hevesy, want to transform this group?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, with good reason, right? I mean, coming into the season, that was that was an area of concern. I think they've shorted up somewhat, but I would also say that they've been pretty fortunate in terms of health. Right. Yeah. I mean, Buchanan, Jordan, Johnson, Ivy, and and Taylor have pretty much played the entire year. I can't remember a time when, when there's been a guy, I mean, I'm sure they've been bagged up, but I can't remember a time where a guy couldn't start. They haven't had ACLs. They haven't had giant, you know, high ankle sprains. They haven't had anything like that. Um, And so to be that healthy is one of the reasons why the offensive line has been so successful. I mean, you know, you can envision a different, (laughs) a parallel universe where, you know, Martez Ivy does something to his shoulder in the second game and all of a sudden, you know, all hell breaks loose on the offensive line. So depth there is very important. Um, I do think that star ratings are important, but at the same time, there are a lot of three-star offensive linemen who turn out to be very, very good. And there's a lot of, Three-star tackles who are really kind of four-star guards, right? So, um, being able to being able to take a step down from tackle to guard allows you to really sort of use some of the skills that you have from a strength perspective, where maybe you don't necessarily have the mobility or the size to be a left or a right tackle. So, really, um, you know, we'll need to look in depth at all these guys and sort of make that decision. We made that we made that last year when we had a, what. It, had a couple of guys um who were three-star guys come in last year. We had sort of the same the same discussion that a lot of times those guys slide into guard and can be or center and can be successful. But yeah, I mean it feels like the recruiting's picking up. Certainly the 2021 class now has three top 100 guys. That's sort of what we've been harping on all all offseason. Um I still think the the class is going to have it's going to be a struggle to get in the top 10 this year. I mean, there's going to really need to be a run of guys yeah. to to get Florida in the top 10. I don't think the top 10, you know, whether it's 10 or 12, I don't think you sit there and say, Oh, that ranking is what matters. What matters is the quality of the players you're bringing in. And, and that's just one segment of it. I mean, there's certainly player development and there's on field coaching and all that sort of stuff. We're not saying that, but elite programs recruited elite levels for the most part, and especially in the sec. And, uh, you know, the more the more blue chip talent he can bring in, the better, especially in 2019, because that's one place, um you know, those bump classes usually see a significant jump, and we haven't seen that yet. But it does look like the tides turn a little bit.
0: Yeah, uh, ranked 19th overall in the 24/7 Sports Composite. That's ninth. <laughs> that's crazy, crazy. Will 19th overall, ninth in the SEC. <laughs> I mean, well, that's like, why
1: it's so important, right? Because yeah, I mean, Clemson right. is. Clemson typically comes in, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, and they're second in the ACC. They've come in thirteenth a few times and been second in the ACC. And and with with Taggart up at Florida State, now they're first in the ACC. Yeah. And you know they're they're just you know when you look at like the third and the fourth teams in the ACC, they're typically like seventeenth and thirtieth right. in these recruiting rankings, which is one of the reasons why recruiting is so important in the SEC, is that. You know, let's say you beat those teams, teams that are more talented than you. Let's say you beat them 35% of the time. Well, if you have to play three teams that are more talented than you, then that means running the table on that is like a four percent proposition. So if you're more talented than them, you tend to win it at like a 65% clip. So now running the table against those three teams you're more talented than is is like a 20% proposition. So you've just increased your odds of winning those three big games by like four times, and and that's that's what that can do when you really start bringing in those elite classes, but. But, you know, obviously, Mullen has done more with less at Mississippi State, and we'll see whether he can do that at Florida. You know, again, I I think
0: that's the thing about that. Well, when people listen to us, it's not that we don't think Mullen can do it or whatever, but he shouldn't have to. You're at Florida. Go Go get some elites.
1: Well, I mean, so, you know, we've talked about on-field results not necessarily impacting the 2019 class. Um, I think people will dispute that at the end of the year, depending upon how things finish. Um, You know, we'll go back and look at it. I mean, we sort of – or I set that arbitrary date of August 1st and said typically classes don't change much before then. Um, Of course, then DeJuan Black committed, like, August 2nd. (laughs) But but, but anyway. He he planned it. He
0: planned it. Well, he read your article and was like, oh, I'm going to show him.
1: Yeah, well that's that's good. Maybe we'll come on the podcast then. But uh, so you know, we'll go back and look at that and and, and the the point of the article was not that Mullen's doomed. The point of the article was if he exceeds what other people have traditionally done, then we should give him kudos for the way he closes because he's closed much better than people have in the past. And so I'm going to give him that credit if on signing day he's got you know a class that, that ranks seventh because at that point he's done way better than he did than it looked like he was going to do back on August 1st. However, if he comes in at 12th, that's kind of where it looked like he'd be on August 1st. And so, you know, again, those early starts make a difference, which is why it's encouraging to see what's happening in 2020, Mm -hmm. but in particular 2021, right? So 2020, I think the the 24-7 sports average is like 91.7 for those players, which is still sort of in that 9 to 10 range is where that, you know, 91 usually ends up, but it's like 97.8 for the three guys they've got for 2021. Um, Those are elite guys. There's a five-star in there. And... And, you know, those are the types of guys who need to commit to Florida. And, you know, hey, maybe maybe the Muschamp and, and uh and McIlwain eras really did sort of solely solely the way people felt about the program and it is gonna take a year to sort of build it back and make people think it's moving in the right direction. It certainly doesn't hurt that Miami is struggling, that Mullen is pulling guys away from Miami and then who the heck knows what's going on in Tallahassee. So um you know, hopefully the quarterback's going to North Carolina. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, I mean, you know, hey, all good news as of uh, you know for the last couple of weeks, and it's been good news ever since the Florida State win on this front. And certainly, we expect Mullen to close close strong, and we'll uh, we'll let you know whether he does or whether he doesn't.
0: Yeah, that was a good thing about Michael Tarkwin there, uh, and he you know he put a letter out on Twitter and put, post some pictures with it as well. And part of the letter was saying you know, it was a dream of his to be a Gator. Uh, And then there's a picture of him in a Tim Tebow shirt. And it was like, you know, what sparked in my mind was, and I tweeted this as well, it's good to see guys who dream to be a Gator now want to be a Gator. And it's not the, you know, I grew up a Gator fan, but I don't want to go play for Jim McElwain. And that's kind of, you know that's kind of what we got the last few years, and uh, he, he didn't pressure those guys who grew up Gator fans. That hey, come on, let's be a Gator. It was all nonchalant. Then it it does seem you know what with the troubles that Miami and Florida State are having. Hey, if you wanted to be a Gator, now is the time to come be a Gator.
1: So it turns out that peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are not the best recruiting tool. This <laughs> is apparently what we've learned from this era.
0: Neither um, are fishing trips. Um,
1: as well as that, recruiting elite quarterbacks will help. So again, the other thing I think you can do is if you look at if you look at Mullen, he's definitely made it a priority to get quarterbacks on the docket right away. I mean, you know, he's got Jalen Jones coming in next year. He had Emory Jones come in this year. Um, getting those guys to commit early, I think those guys tend to be the guys who go out and recruit people, um, and, and so to be able to to be able to go out there and fill that. Because it's the most important position on the field. And certainly we felt that over the last few years. I mean, just competent quarterback play, um, you know, over the last decade in Florida has a considerably different record and really a different feel. And then we don't have Michigan idiots out there telling us that that we're not really on the map anymore. So, uh, you know, <laughs> so, so so now we get the opportunity to show them, man.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, to wrap it up here, as I said, 19th overall in 7 sports composite, ninth in the SEC with 18 commits. Plenty of room to move up with it for, for the Gators in the next couple of weeks. In good shape for Lloyd Summerall, Keon Zipper, Kyrie Elam, Chris still Derek Hunter to get a flip from FSU there. Maybe Question Fuller as well. Kind of think he sticks with FSU, but you know, we'll all see. Uh, kind of where it goes from there. And uh, recently as well, as Will mentioned, the 2020-2021 class recently, four-star 2020 athlete uh, Jaquavion Frazier's. And then for the 2021 class, Will, you mentioned that, that these guys, but the Vanguard, Ocala duo, a five-star defensive end, Bryce Langston, and four-star wide receiver Trevantar, Trevante Rucker uh, commit recently to the Gators as well. So you're not going to break down those guys so, so much. we got plenty of time to do that. Uh, but will, as you mentioned, you know, when we discussed what good results on the field could do in recruiting before the season started, it wasn't necessarily for the 2019 class. It was, you know, we we said if the if the good on field results happen, look, it, it, we're not saying it couldn't happen for the 2019 class, but we did know it could have an effect on the 2020 2021 class. And look, we know it's very early right now, but it is good to see the Gators in the minds of some high profile recruits.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I we, we talked about it over the summer that, that having your class established before the season is really necessary at this point in order to have an elite class. And so having these guys on early is only going to bring other guys, you know, is only going to give other guys confidence to latch on to the to the class. And if you got six, seven, eight blue chips and high level blue chips by the time that August 1st deadline rolls around, well, there's no reason to believe you wouldn't have another eight, nine, 10 of them coming in on the backside. And so um, that's important. The the other thing I think we shouldn't gloss over is that some of the guys who've committed recently are from Jacksonville. Or from Ocala. And those are the those are the areas where Florida has to lock down. Cause you don't necessarily get guys from out of the panhandle. You don't necessarily well, maybe now you can, but it's not it has not historically been all that fruitful to go down into South Florida and try to extract guys out of there. There's plenty of there's plenty of talent in the state in Orlando and Tampa and Jacksonville and even in the Ocala Gainesville area. And if Florida can own those spaces, especially when you've got a guy who's who's a four a high level four star or a five star athlete I mean they have to do that. So you think about Laramie Tunsil up in up in Lake City and certainly there were some extenuating circumstances there. But those are the kinds of guys that Florida has to lock down, has to bring in and it looks like Mullen's starting to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, being here in Jacksonville, you know, it it it, it hurt me it hurt my hurt my heart will to, to, to see a lot of those guys going to Miami and going to Ohio State, you know, the guys from Trinity Christian and Reigns and uh, all, you know, the, the big time schools here in Jacksonville, you know, yeah, that should be the case. This has been a Gator territory for so long and think about the time at Urban Meyer and getting all those, you know, niece and St. Augustine kids led by Tim Tebow and Brandon James and uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the James Wilson, those those guys that, that left and, and went to Florida um and, and the Lakeland guys of course and you know look like florida's going to be bringing it around uh back around to those guys with zipperer and summer all so yeah it, it is time to get the gator friendly areas you know historically back to back back to gator uh back back to the gators right now so all right a lot of recruiting talk will be coming up we got signing day early signing day in a couple of weeks so we'll definitely have you covered here on Gator's breakdown talking recruiting and getting you ready for the bowl game against Michigan as well will it's going to uh yeah, we won't be doing three episodes a week uh, in the month of December. We need a little bit of a break, uh, but still plenty, plenty to the, plenty to discuss with the bowl gaming recruiting.
1: Yeah, man, we'll touch base. I know there were some people who asked if we were going to go away all off season, and that's definitely not true. Um, you'll still get to hear my hair hairbrained opinions all, all off season long, but uh, you know, hopefully they'll be fact based and they'll be based on what's happened in the past and you know, if they're negative trends, then hopefully Mullen can buck those. I mean, you know, the the whole point of statistics is to take a look at what has happened and try to predict. But one of the great parts about sports is that your predictions, you know, don't necessarily have to come true, that it's not some statistical model that that predicts it. And so it's always fun to see how does the things that you've predicted relate to what actually happens. And so we'll get to see that in the bowl game. We'll get to see that in the recruiting. And uh, you know, we'll get to see that uh all off season when we see how the
0: team prepares. I mean hey, that's why we like the Vegas line so much, right? You want to see if the if the underdog can win sometimes. So
1: hey, I gotta say, man, they're they're pretty good. They they seem to make a little bit of money.
0: Hey, they keep building brand new hotels. So unless you know they're doing something <laughs> right.
1: Well, two thousand eight <laughs> they had some issues, but now they're doing all right.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Will anything else? We got anything else coming up on uh reading reaction this week?
1: Yeah, we'll have some stuff coming up this week. Probably a little something about what Florida can actually do in the bowl game. What can what they can establish, um, and where you sort of go from there. So, what can they win? What can they lose going up against Michigan? And then, uh, and then, really, you know, some breakdowns of the season probably coming up over the next month or two. Um, looking at the different guys who are either coming in who might contribute. So, go back and look at some of the high school film. That's always sort of fun. Um, I'm sure we'll have some stuff up on on Jalen Jones
0: and some other things as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. There. So, all uh, right, Will. Thanks very much, man. Uh, good episode here. And uh, you can find Will on Twitter at Will Miles, SEC, and his site, read, and I'm the host of Gator's Breakdown, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at Dave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gator's Breakdown.